John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Uh, great to be with you all here today. My name is Pastor Jeremy Bass. Uh, we are in the middle of our Nehemiah series. If you have your Bibles and you want to open them up, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 4. As we're looking at this idea of rebuilding and how do we as a church rebuild with the Lord... We've been talking for the past few weeks about how we have to start every rebuilding effort by seeking God's face with prayer and with fasting and by mourning over the brokenness of the walls. And then we talked about how we wait on the Lord. How should we be people who wait on God to do the rebuilding for us? And then last week we looked at how do we start the process of rebuilding and this week we're looking at well, how do we respond when there is opposition to rebuilding. This is what happens in Nehemiah. We're going to be in Nehemiah 4 verses 1 through 15. Hear the word of the Lord. Sanballat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Samaritan army officers, What does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think that they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think that they can make something out of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite who is standing beside him remarked, The stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked on top of it. And then I prayed, Hear us, our God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall behind their own heads. May they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last, the wall was completed to about half the height around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But then Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs, Ammonites and Ashadites, heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall were being repaired and they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there is so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies are saying... Our enemies are saying before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who lived near the enemy camp came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. And so I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas, and I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears, and bows. And then I looked at the situation, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious, and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. The word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I know that was a long passage. 
uh, but we're going to unpack that together. So we've been looking at this idea. We started to rebuild the walls, but suddenly there's this opposition that comes against Nehemiah and the people of Jerusalem. It's these sort of constant voices, if you've been noticing as we've read for the past few weeks, that this people have been there in the background this whole time, that they've maybe made a barb or two or made a remark or two, but now these enemies have come up front and center and are becoming more vocal and more bold as the work really begins in earnest. And these are the enemies of Nehemiah trying to stop the rebuilding process. Now, we don't have enemies like Nehemiah does. Like, there's no one sitting in the back scowling, waiting for us to fail. There's no one outside picketing us. There's no one in here trying to disrupt worship. And so as I was prepping for this week, I felt the Lord kind of directed more in enemies in a spiritual sense. That as Christians, our enemies are almost always spiritual enemies. First Peter writes this in his letter. Peter writes this in First Peter chapter 5, verses 8 and 9. He says, stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world are going through the same kind of suffering that you are. What First Peter is getting at here, this idea that your enemies are prowling like a roaring lion, that they're always trying to look for an area to attack you, to undermine you. And we, as the church of Jesus Christ, understand that fundamentally our enemies are these principalities of darkness and Satan and his demonic forces, that this is our primary enemy. This is the accuser of the brethren, as it says in Revelation and the tactics of the enemy that are found in Nehemiah, I have also seen, are the tactics of spiritual enemies as well. We see here in Nehemiah 4, this is what his enemies do. They mock him. They ridicule him. They discourage them. They try to get the community to lose heart. They sow fear into their lives. Have any of you ever felt like that happened in your life. Things are going great when suddenly you feel this voice of mockery, ridicule, discouragement, maybe even fear being sown into your lives. We see this exactly as what happens at Nehemiah. And what we see in our lives and in Nehemiah is that what the enemy does is the enemy comes and attacks our weaknesses. Comes and attacks our weaknesses. One of my favorite sports to watch is football. And uh, if you're a guy and you're trying to go tackle a player and you know that that guy has like a bum ankle, right? Are you going to tackle him from the torso or are you going to try to dive on that ankle and maybe grab a hold of it and twist it to see maybe if he can get a little bit more of a limp on him so that way he gets out of the game? Uh, I know that that's how they played in the NFL because I've heard NFL players say that. And so when you're trying to attack someone or tackle someone like on a football field, you don't go for the area of great strength. You go for their area of great weakness. And that's what the enemy does to us. That's what the enemies of Nehemiah does here in Nehemiah 4. They go not to the areas of their strength, but they go to the areas of their weaknesses. It goes to ridicule them as we see in Nehemiah 1 that they flew into a rage and mocked the Jews. 
Because remember, the Jerusalem walls being down was a source of great shame for the people of God. That the enemy attacks them, he ridicules them, he mocks what they're doing, and then intimidates them with fear in verses 10 and 11. We see this as a tactic used throughout this passage that they goes for the weak spots of the people of God. That the people are discouraged because of their wall, that they're worried that one day the Persian king just might revoke this blessing that he's given to rebuild the walls uh, because that has happened previously in the history of them trying to rebuild the walls. And so you just see that the enemy just does these little barbs and these little mocks and ridicules and scorns over and over and over again. But ultimately what we see in this passage is that the bark of the enemy is worse than their bite. And so when we think about our own lives and we think about when the enemy comes against us or when enemies come against us and it feels like we're just being attacked and oppressed and it feels like the accuser of the brethren has made it a point to single us out. How do we respond? And I think we see how Nehemiah responds, and that gives us insight to how we respond. I'm not a big alliteration preacher, uh, but today it just worked out so perfectly. So there's a good alliteration for today. So the first way we respond is through prayer. We respond to the enemy through prayer. Look at how Nehemiah responds in verses 4 and then 9 and then later in chapter 6. Verse 4, 4. After the attacks, it says, Then I prayed, Hear us, O God. Skipping down to verse 9, Nehemiah then says, But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. And then skipping over to verse 6, which is another, or chapter 6, another passage about the enemies of God coming against the rebuilding effort. It says in 6, 9, And they were just trying to intimidate us, Imagining that they could discourage us and stop the work. So I continued to work with even greater determination. Oh, I think I wrote down the wrong verse. That's okay. That happens. Uh, in this passage somewhere, uh, Nehemiah prays when the enemies of God come against him. Because fundamentally what we understand in the book of Nehemiah and what we understand uh, as we read the pages of pages of scripture that when the enemy comes against us really the person that is doing the fighting is not us but God and Nehemiah recognizes this that God is the one who is doing all of the work here God is the one who is rebuilding the wall God is the one who is stirring up the hearts of the people God is the one who gave favor for the Persian king for them to rebuild the wall and God will be the one to see this through and so what Nehemiah recognizes is when these enemies come against him, when these attacks come against him, his first response is to immediately seek the face of the one who can overcome the enemy. He asks God to intervene. And scripture tells us that God does thwart the enemy because of Nehemiah's prayer. And this can be very difficult for us to remember. It's very difficult for me to remember uh, whenever I feel like I'm battling the enemy in my life, my first instinct is often not to pray. It's often to sulk and be sad uh, and just kind of go into a depressive state. And it's often Erica that will say to me, well, Jeremy, have you, have you prayed on this or have you prayed against this? And I just say, no, I haven't prayed against it. 
Because that's often not our first instinct is to pray, is it? Or maybe we think that's a silly thing to pray against the enemy is our first instinct. But we see in Nehemiah that that's his first instinct. It's almost like a reflex. The enemy comes against Nehemiah, so he seeks God's face in prayer. And this is a different kind of prayer. It's a prayer for God to intervene, a prayer for God to do something, a prayer for God to overcome the enemy in our lives. When Erica and I got dogs uh, a few years ago, we uh, didn't know what we were doing with dogs and dog training. And so we hired a trainer. Uh, particularly, they were having a really bad time walking, like walking them on a leash. And they're still really bad at walking on a leash. We didn't really learn all that well. But what the trainer taught us to do is they're supposed to be walking right next to you, and you are the one leading them, not the other way around. And so what they taught us to do is try to get the dog to look up at you every few seconds while you're walking so that way they know you're the one leading, not me. And so we tried that, but it didn't work really well. But I just like that idea of you walking the dog and the trainer is leading the dog, but the dog's job is to just look up every few seconds. Just look up every few seconds. And I know that we're not dogs, but I do like that imagery of what it can be like of walking with God. That it's our job is just to be next to him and then just look up every few seconds to see that he is the one leading us, to look up and seek his face, to pray to him. It's this image of that's what it looks like that when the psalm says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because I look up and I see that you're right there with me. Now that is this image of what life with God is like and what life is like of when these enemies come against us and what a prayer life should look like in dark days as it's constantly looking up and seeking the face of God. And this is done through prayer. So the first way we respond is through prayer. The second way we respond is through promises. Prayer and promises. And what that means is we declare the promises of God to the enemy. We declare the promises of God to the enemy. This is what Nehemiah does in 4.14. He says this to his people. And then I looked over the situation, and I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them, Do not be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord, who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters your wives and your homes earlier in chapter 2 this is what nehemiah does again when the enemies of god come against him and nehemiah 2:20 it says this nehemiah says i replied the god of heaven will help us succeed we are his servants and will start the rebuilding of the wall but you have no share legal right or historic claim to jerusalem Nehemiah says to the people of God when they're intimidated by their enemies, when they're intimidated by the ones who are coming up and fighting against them, to remember who your God is. Remember who the God that you serve is. Declare the greatness of the God that you serve. He is great and glorious. Remember the promises that God gave us. And the hand of the Lord will be on us as we rebuild the wall, that when you feel like there are enemies coming against you in your own life, to declare the promises of God back to them. When the attacks of the enemy come against us 
as the people of God, when the Satan comes and mocks us for our sin, say, Jesus says, I am forgiven. When the enemy comes and scorns and ridicules us or mocks us for our faith or says, aren't you childish for believing that, to come against them with the promises of God and say, I am a child of the Father. When we feel discouraged to step out in faith or feel like we can't do anything to say, I have the Spirit of God within me and I have been gifted and equipped by the Lord himself to declare the promises of God right into the enemy. This is our weapon, is to declare who God is and his promises to us, to declare the truth in the face of the lies of the evil one. When you go and look at the story of Jesus and how he is tempted in the wilderness, this is exactly what Jesus does, doesn't he? When the enemy comes against him with all these temptations or all these accusations, he responds to the enemy by declaring the promises of God right to his face. When we look at the words of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians in the armor of God, that great passage in Ephesians, the only offensive weapon that we find in Ephesians is what we find in 6.18. Paul says, Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert. Ah, I did it again. That's okay. Yeah. Pray in the Spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. Ah, there it is. No? That's okay. Paul says in Ephesians, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that is our offensive weapon. That the Word of God, the Spirit, the sword of truth is our offensive weapon against the enemy. That the promises of God are the weapon that we use against the enemy, declaring who God is because ultimately God is the one who is fighting our battles. That Jesus says, I don't have to be afraid. Jesus says, I can have new life. Jesus says that I belong to him. Jesus says that sin no longer has power over my life. Jesus says that I am free. These are the promises that we hold on to, and not only hold on to them, but declare back to Satan whenever he comes against you. This is what it means to be the people of God. Hebrews 10.23. I'm pretty sure I got this one right. Hebrews 10. 23 says this let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promises the NIV translates it as the one who is promised is faithful we hold on to the promises of God because we know and trust the character of God and when we find ourselves in this waiting space like the people of Nehemiah did waiting for the promises of God to come to pass we choose to hold on to them anyways we choose to hold on to Jesus and not let go one of my favorite quotes I think it's by Charles Spurgeon I couldn't find exactly who said it but it's one of my favorite quotes uh, in days of darkness do not forget what you learned in the days of light in days of darkness, don't forget what you learned in days of light. In other words, when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, don't forget what you were told before you entered the valley. That you will get out of the valley. That there is hope on the other side that the enemy does not win. That the accuser of the brethren is slain in the book of Revelation. That God wins, the enemy does not. And that gives us confidence to do the third thing, which is press on. 
promises, prayer, press on. Nehemiah 6, 10 through 16, this is the completion of the wall. It says in Nehemiah 6, 10, Later I went to visit Shemaiah, son of Delilah, and the grandson of Mehetabal, who was confined to his home. He said, Let us meet together inside the temple of God and bolt the door shut. Your enemies are coming to kill you tonight. But I replied, Should someone in my position run from danger? Should someone in my position enter the temple to save his life? No, I won't do it. I realized that God had not spoken to him, but that he had uttered this prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. They were hoping to intimidate me and make me sin, and then they would be able to accuse me and discredit me. Remember, O God, all the evil things that Tobiah and Sanballat have done, and remember Noadiah the prophet and all the prophets like her who have tried to intimidate me. And so on October 2nd, the wall was finished just 52 days after we had begun. When our enemies and the surrounding nations heard about it, they were frightened and humiliated, and they realized the work had been done with the help of our God. We press on through the attacks of the enemy. In the face of opposition, Nehemiah doesn't give up. In the face of death, the community doesn't give up. And look at the miracle that God does in their midst despite all the attacks and all the viciousness and all these things that just constantly come against Nehemiah and the people of God. They just keep pressing on that the wall was completed in 52 days. We can't even build highways in years and they complete a whole wall around Jerusalem with no cranes, no machines and that can only be done when the hand of God is resting upon the people of God that they pressed on through the attacks of the enemy and they did not give up. And when we find at the end of Nehemiah, or right here, that the enemies of God are defeated because they pressed on and did the work. The best way that you can overcome the enemy in your life is to fulfill God's will for your life. To not let their attacks stop you. To not let their lies discourage you. To not... Uh, to refuse to not step out, to be a people who say, I hear the voices that are trying to discourage me, I hear the attacks that are coming against me, but I'm going to choose, even in the face of that, to step out and trust God. I will choose to step out in faith, and we can do this because, as the scripture says, we have the spirit of the living God within us, a spirit not of fear, as Paul writes, but of power love and self-control we have god himself dwelling within us dwelling within our souls and we have the promises of god that we can hold on to and we can step into the very throne room of god with our prayers and seek the face of the father i'm going to give you all a little peek uh behind the curtain today uh almost every week when i write a sermon I think this is probably the worst sermon that I've ever written in my entire life. You can just ask Erica. It's a near constant texting that we have every week where I'll finish it Thursday and I'll text her and I'll say, Erica, the sermon's done, but you won't believe it. This week, it's the worst one in the world. It's like I've been preaching good so far, I think, but you know, today is the day that I just fall off a cliff and everything just falls apart. It's this week-long struggle that I have almost every single week and so when I'm saying these things like 
prayer promises and press on as I was writing the sermon it was almost like the Lord was saying like hey this is also uh, for you as well you should do this as well you should pray when you have these thoughts come up you should declare the promises of God when these thoughts come up you should continue to press on when these thoughts come up because what I find is when I have this opposition of the enemy that comes at me seemingly every single week when I hear the ridicule, the scorn, the fear, the attacks on my weakness, and that I seem to continue to hear, the best thing that I can do is choose to press on anyways. To trust not in myself, not in any ability that I may or may not have, but to look to Jesus. Look to the one who can do anything through me. To keep my eyes on him, to step into obedience and trust that he is with me. And friends, as you look at your own faith walk and you look at where you think Jesus is calling you to go and you may think that he's calling you into places that seem crazy, that seem uncomfortable, that seem like you shouldn't really step into that, to trust that Jesus is going to be with you when you step into that. To not let fear, to not let these attacks of the enemies, to not let the evil one come against you and prevent you from stepping into all that God has for you. And we do that by prayer, promises, and pressing on. To step boldly in faith for where the Lord is calling us. I want to invite the band back up as we uh, transition to communion. The point of all these attacks, as we see in Nehemiah, and the points of all the attacks against us in our spiritual life is to have us get our eyes off of God onto the rubble. We see that in this passage in Nehemiah, that the attacks of the enemy made Nehemiah, uh, the attacks of the enemy made uh, the people of God say, look at all this rubble that is around us. We surely can't do it. It was to get their eyes off of what the Lord was doing in their life. And what I'm finding throughout this Nehemiah series, the consistent theme that Jesus keeps revealing to me over and over again, I think that Jesus is just trying to teach us as a community over and over again is this, to keep our eyes firmly planted on him. To keep our eyes firmly planted on him. To look at the one who's faithful. Look at the one who keeps his promises to look to Jesus who has conquered sin and death and who rose from the dead so that we can have life again. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening with us. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.